Drifters, this is Refs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about feats! So, just to be clear, we're talking about F-E-A-T-S, not F-E-E-T-S. I find the latter to be disgusting. So, feats in D&D are an optional rule. That alone is something that a lot of people don't actually know. That as a character levels up, you normally get something called the ability score improvement, usually at levels 4, 8, 12, 16, and 19, with some classes getting some bonus ones here and there. But for the most part, when you reach those levels, your character gets two ability points that you can add to your character for any of the six ability scores. So the usual, you know, strength, dexterity, et cetera, et cetera. So that is to show your character's growth as they progress as an adventurer. So the feat alternative rule set is another option that is available to do something entirely different. Instead of gaining those two points, you choose something from a massive list that tweaks your character in some way. It might give your character an additional ability or a way to do their do something a little bit different, give them a bonus to something. It is an incredibly flexible system. And with that being said, it is not reasonable or really possible for me to get through all of the feats in one episode. So this is not something that I'm going to do a deep dive on all of them. I'm just going to go through the list to pick out the ones that need notice. And I will also just mention that because I can't go through them all, like there are other gems in the rough that I'm not going to talk about. So look through the feats list yourselves. It is a very useful thing to go through for ideas. And in addition to that, the use of feats is one of the best ways to homebrew, in my opinion, because of the fact that feats tweak things for the most part. They might give you something new, but the fact that it can just give an, a boost of some kind gives a dungeon master massive amounts of flexibility in terms of just making characters a little bit more unique to give them more character options. So we'll talk about more about the homebrew angle towards the end of this one. So to start off, there's only one feat that I can start with because I've mentioned a number of times how it is one of my favorites, and that is Great Weapon Master. This is a hugely useful feat that gives the following benefits. On your turn, when you score a critical hit with a melee weapon or reduce a creature to zero hit points with one, you can make a melee weapon attack as a bonus action. Also, before you make a melee attack with a heavy weapon that you're proficient with, you can choose to take a negative five penalty to the attack roll. If the attack hits, you add plus 10 to the attack's damage. 
Now, besides the fact that both of those abilities are fantastic, there's one very important distinction that a lot of people miss about the feat. That second ability in the feat has a restriction that it can only be used with a heavy weapon. But the first feature does not have that phrasing in it. It is simply if you crit with a melee weapon or reduce a creature to zero hit points with one, then you make the melee attack as a bonus action. So while the negative five in order to do plus 10 damage is only for heavy weapons, the fact that you can potentially make melee attacks as a bonus option is available with any melee weapon. And that very particular phrasing difference is part of what makes this feat so particularly interesting to me. So even someone who does not wield a heavy weapon, any melee character can still get this feat if they choose to, and still get that first effect. So, besides Great Weapon Master, it has a sibling feat called Sharpshooter that is the ranged option and is arguably even better. So, first off, attacking at long range doesn't improve disadvantage on your ranged attack rolls. So, normally, an attack with a, let's say you use Longbow as the example, it has a range listed of 150 slash 600. So you can attack normally up to 150 feet, and you can attack with disadvantage up to 600 feet. So what that first effect does then, a longbow user with sharpshooter can attack 600 feet with no disadvantage. And that is one of the farthest range options in the game, unless you really get into some build shenanigans. Next up, you also get the additional effect of a your ranged weapon attacks ignore half cover and three quarters cover. So we talked a bit before in the cover and hiding episode about cover gives a bonus to the AC of someone trying to duck behind something. So with sharpshooter then, because it ignores half and three quarters cover, then unless someone is a hundred percent behind a solid object, you ignore that cover entirely. So given that three quarters cover is normally plus five to their AC, that is a massive benefit to someone with this feat. And finally, much like Great Weapon Master, you can choose to take a negative five penalty to attack roll to get a plus 10 to the attack's damage if it hits. So that is all very good effects in one fantastic feat. So a ranged character, any ranged weapon character, has a massive advantage if they do choose the sharpshooter feat. Um, actually, just because I'm on the S's anyway, I'm going to move on to a somewhat underappreciated feat, which is skilled. Skilled is relatively simple, but is very useful to like actually making a character a character. So all that it does is give proficiency in any combination of three skills or tools of your choice. And that is, again, simple in theory, but really neat. So let's say that you want to have a kind of, you know, magic using character, but like they were raised in the Thieves Guild. Then you could use this feat to give them proficiency with Thieves tools and stealth and sleight of hand. So you could use it to kind of add to that kind of you know, the backstory that you want for your character, if you're making one that is a little higher level to have a feat, 
then you could use skilled in the character build, or you could also just use it if you're leveling up a character normally to just give them the thing that like they want to get better at. So if you have a character who's constantly trying to roll nature and survival checks, then this would give them that option to gain those proficiencies as they progress through the game. So simple in theory, but really useful in practice. And uh, actually, another of the really good feats is also here on the S's. Sentinel. This is such a very, very useful one. When you hit a creature with an opportunity attack, the creature's speed becomes zero for the rest of the turn. And when creatures provoke opportunity, or sorry, creatures provoke opportunity attacks from you even if they take the disengage action before leaving your reach finally when a creature within five feet of you makes an attack against a target other than you and that target doesn't have this feat you can use your reaction to make a melee weapon attack against the attacking creature this is another fantastically useful feat so the fact that i'll start with the second one because well because i want to Disengage is normally a very powerful action to allow creatures to walk away without opportunity attacks. This feat specifically negates that ability. So even if someone uses their action or bonus action if they're a rogue to disengage, you still get to attack them. And then we go to that first ability. So if you do hit with your opportunity attack, then their speed becomes zero. They don't get slowed. They don't anything else. They flat out cannot move anymore once you hit them with the opportunity attack. And that is a fantastic pair of, you know, a one-two punch with those first two abilities. And then that third one, which is also fantastically useful. So generally speaking, in 5th edition D&D combat, you don't use your reaction every turn because creatures don't really move around that much mid-fight for the most part. So the fact that this third ability means that if you just have an ally that is nearby you attacking the same creature or just one near you, the fact that you every turn, if a creature next to you makes the attack against an ally, that you get to use your reaction to make another attack is a massive advantage to the action economy of your party. So next up, uh, actually, there's a lot of good ones here in the S. So let's just move on to Spell Sniper. Spell Sniper is another pretty interesting feat. So you cast a spell that requires you to make an attack roll and the spell's range is doubled. Your ranged spell attacks ignore half cover and three quarters cover. You learn one cantrip that requires an attack roll. Choose the cantrip from a spell list. So one area in which this feat is kind of odd is that there is some variety to it. You pick an ability score when you choose the feat to choose which cantrip you're able to learn. So you can get a spell sniper for wizard, which is then you use your intelligence to cast it. You could choose spell sniper for cleric or druid, which lets you use your wisdom modifier, or you could use spell sniper for bard, sorcerer, or warlock to use your charisma. So technically speaking, this, well, not technically, just flat out, this gives some more flexibility in terms of if you have, let's say, a, you know, warlock character 
but you want to get some attack spell that is not on the warlock spell list, then this would allow it. So I'm actually going to kind of focus on the warlock because I love them. So any spell that requires an attack roll gets double range. The reason I'm going to focus here on Warlock is, of course, their Eldritch Blast spell. And even for non-Warlocks, that is a very good option to pick for the cantrip that you learn with this feat. Because Eldritch Blast is unique in that it is a cantrip that as you level up, instead of doing more damage, creates additional beams to the spell. So that would give any character with that spell more attack rolls and potentially more action economy advantages against their opponents. So the fact that the spell's range doubled, I mentioned earlier that there are some build shenanigans for, you know, uh, equaling a ranger or just a, you know, range character who uses a longbow with sharpshooter. Warlock is one of those options. Because if you've got a warlock with the you know Eldritch Spear invocation, then that boosts the range of Eldritch Blast to 300, and then with the Spell Sniper feat, doubles it to 600 to match a longbow. So let's get out of the S's because there are other useful ones. So there's one that is somewhat debatable in terms of how useful, but it's fun. So I'm just going to go ahead and mention it. Tavern Brawler. Increase your strength or constitution score by one up to a maximum of 20. You are proficient with improvised weapons. Your unarmed strikes use a d4 for damage. When you hit a creature with an unarmed strike or an improvised weapon on your turn, you can use a bonus action to attempt to grapple the target. This is not the most powerful, but can really add some fun advantages to a character that has it. So first off, this gives a good example of a whole category of feats that give one point to an ability score in addition to the other effects of the feat. And there are a lot of them that do something along those lines. So in this case, strength or constitution improved by one point, plus all of those other things is potentially quite useful. So the fact that you gain proficiency with improvised weapons means that you can just like pick up a table leg or a beer bottle and just use whatever the hell you can get your hands on in a fight. Your punches become a D4 instead of just a flat one. Well, punch, kick, all unarmed strikes. But the fact that you get that bonus action attempt to grapple your target, if you use an unarmed strike or improvised weapon on your turn, that is particularly useful because a lot of melee characters don't have a lot of uses of bonus action. Not none. There's always exceptions. But the fact that this gives you an additional option to use your bonus action is indeed advantageous. So next up, tough. Tough is an incredibly simple feat mechanically, but also one of the most powerful and useful in the game. Your hit point maximum increases by an amount equal to twice your level, and every level ongoing, you gain an additional two hit points. So in other words, you gain two hit points per level, and that is just amazing. So if you have a level 10 character, then if you gain the tough feat, then they would gain 
20 hit points at level 10. And then every level thereafter, they also gain that additional two. So it is never a bad time to get the tough feat because it does have that kind of retroactive, you know, fact to it. If you get it at level four, you'll get eight and then two ongoing. If you pick it at, you know, level 12, you'll get 24 and then two ongoing. It is always useful. More hit points for a D&D character is never a bad idea. So next up, let's go on to one of the more popular feats in the game also, which is called Warcaster. So this is something for spellcasters, and it gives advantage on constitution saving throws to maintain concentration on a spell when you take damage. So even before we get to the other things that this feat gives you, that alone is massively beneficial because one of the big dangers of concentration spells is losing that concentration. So permanently gaining advantage on all of your con saves to concentrate on an ongoing spell is massively, massively beneficial. Uh, Wait, so Remy. Yes? Actually, like, if we want to think about it, that, that is one one thing to be said, that if you, when it comes to feats, it really does help out with... Um, very specific character builds that you're going for. Say, there's one idea that I've been throwing around for a while now. It's a um, a, a close combat uh, like spellcaster, and then you could use that feat right there for that kind of character, which would help out a lot. Funny you should mention that. Just hold that in mind a bit until I get to the third ability of Warcaster. So, second up on the bullet points for Warcaster, though, you can perform the somatic components of spells, even when you have weapons or a shield in one or both hands. So, technically speaking, this is a rule that a lot of dungeon masters do ignore, which is the fact that technically... You know, a cleric is supposed to have their holy symbol to be able to do the somatic, com- the movement component of their spell casting. But the fact that this spell, give, or sorry, this feat gives you the option of you can perform it just with weapons or shield in hand, it does give some extra flexibility with the rules as written. But the third one is also fantastic with Warcaster. When a hostile creature's movement provokes an opportunity attack from you, you can use your reaction to cast a spell at the creature rather than making an opportunity attack. The spell must have a casting time of one action and must target only that creature. That will very much help a spellcaster in melee range, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, I, I can imagine if you had a character that was, like, say, multi-class with Monk and some spellcaster of some sort, you could have something really cool going there. Absolutely. But uh, there are so many possible combinations. So, again, part of what I like about feats in general so much is that it is creativity. There are so, so many combinations that create just interesting builds with a character. So, like, if you wanted to combine, you know, a character that has Warcaster and Sentinel, then that would mean then that they provoke opportunity attacks, but then that opportunity attack would be a spell. So this can be a feat that is normally used for melee characters like Sentinel can be used for a spellcaster with the combination of Warcaster. So if you have a higher level magic user, you can create so many just builds that are totally different than just what you would normally anticipate. But we'll go a little more into implementation shortly. There's a few more that I just want to point out quickly. 
so I did jump around a little. So let's go back to the higher up. Alert. Alert is another super underappreciated feat in my eyes. You gain a plus five bonus to initiative. You can't be surprised while you're conscious. Other creatures don't gain an advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being unseen by you. That is amazing. Plus five to initiative. Unable to be surprised, which would really help against any assassin rogues that you might come across. And just no advantage as a result of being unseen by you. So even if a creature is invisible, they do not anymore gain advantage on attacking you. Those are so very, very useful. All right. Um, So let's just go one last one and then I'll move on from the actual just talking about the specific feats. So let's just end here with crossbow expert. You ignore the loading property of crossbows with which you are proficient. So this is another of those rules that a lot of people just don't know about, which is that technically crossbows are only able to make one attack per turn, even if the character has extra attack, because it takes time to load a crossbow. So this feat is partially built to get rid of that disadvantage on crossbows. But it's the second one, the second and third abilities here that truly make this so very interesting to me personally. Being within five feet of a hostile creature doesn't impose disadvantage on your ranged attack rolls. So this is another of those underknown or lesser known rules, which is that normally if a ranged attacker So if you try to make a ranged attack against someone next to your character, then you have disadvantage by trying to make a ranged attack in melee range. So this gets rid of that disadvantage. So a person who has crossbow expert does not need to have a melee weapon anymore because they are able to use their crossbows in melee range with no disadvantage. And then that third ability here. When you use the attack action and attack with a one-handed weapon, you can use a bonus action to attack with a hand crossbow you are holding. And that third ability creates an entire build around it. If you have a hand crossbow then, then if you have this feat, then as soon as fourth level, when you can first pick a feat, if you have, let's say, a rogue who picks this feat, crossbow expert, and they use a hand crossbow, then as their action, they fire. And then, as the feat says, if you attack with a one-handed weapon, you can use your bonus action to attack with a hand crossbow you're holding. So, a rogue who has this can just have a hand crossbow, fire it as an action, and then fire it again as a bonus action. And as rogues do not ever get extra attack, this feat is one of the only ways, without multiclassing, to give a rogue a second attack on their turns. And just to throw out there, because it's fun, if you have a higher level rogue who has crossbow expert as well as sharpshooter, then you can have that nice little negative five to attack roll plus 10 to your damage. That in combination with your sneak attack on one attack that hits, and you create a hand crossbow wielding rogue who can pull it out, put out massive damage on a turn. And technically, 
With the right build, you can have that at eighth level pretty comfortably. Fourth level, if you have the, you know, variant human who gets a feat at level one, which we'll talk about more another day. So there are a ton of feats, and I didn't even touch on a quarter of them with all of my rambling just now. But the point being that feats in general will give an amount of customization to a character that nothing else equals. Even certain classes will give less abilities than a feat might. So there are a number of subclasses in the game that'll give you, you know, four abilities over time. But considering that feats can give two or three tweaks on their own, then it could be argued that if you take three feats, that could actually affect your character's build even more than its subclass can, depending on the things that you choose. And that amount of customization is absolutely fantastic. So now that can transition us over to the homebrew side of things. One last tangent before I do that part on second thought. So I mentioned that, you know, there is a lot of creativity available. However, one other thing is that in the rewards section of the Dungeon Master's Guide, one little tidbit that I'm pretty sure I've mentioned on the show before at some point is the fact that a Dungeon Master can choose to reward a character with special training in the form of a feat. So even though you normally only get the option, if it is even in your games at all, at those specific levels I mentioned earlier, at any time a Dungeon Master has the, you know, they always have the power, but they can choose to award a feat to characters. So if you want to do something a little different, instead of just giving characters treasure, then you can choose to say like, okay, you know, there's this powerful magic user who figured out, you know, he created a feat for all, from the mechanical perspective. Like, let's say someone creates, uh, let's call it overcharge. So a magical version of sharpshooter. Because oddly enough, magic does not have any version of Great Weapon Master or Sharpshooter. So you can say that there's this one guy in the world who figured it out. Your characters did something for that guy. And now as a reward, they will get taught the trick. And so then you can say, okay, a character who uses cantrips can choose to take that negative five to get a plus 10 on their damage roll. So then you let your warlock character get that. And then your warlock is putting out even more damage like that extra just flexibility to give feats as rewards is something awesome. Uh, Another fun thing that I've seen occasionally that is another thing to consider. A lot of dungeon masters will arrange that like in the event of either flat out starting at level one, or if they just have characters starting out at a low-ish level, that as a way to demonstrate that these characters have been around the block a time or two, even if they're low level, then they might choose to give every player in the party a feat, like starting out the campaign, just as a way to show that they are a little bit better trained than average. Because having a feat at low level can be a massive advantage if you have, you know, one of those extra damage feats, extra hit points. There are so many things that that feats can tweak that low level feat is a massive advantage potentially to characters. And like I said, is something that dungeon masters can think about giving as a reward or not even a reward, but as a reward or just as a boost at start of a campaign. 
So now let's go into the actual homebrew end of things. So uh, I mentioned, you know, that, you know, overcharge option as a, you know, magic feat version of uh, sharpshooter. But what is so fun about feats in general is that you can do anything. If you want to, you know, create a feat that gives your character you know, an extra spell. Like there is the magic initiate feat, which I didn't mention earlier and probably ought have, but that's a useful one that lets you pick a cantrip and a first level spell from other classes spell list. So technically even a character that has no magic at all can use magic initiate to pick up, you know, a smidge of magic, which in a high magic world is a kind of just neat. Oh yeah. Everyone has, you know, a little bit of magic. So in a high magic world, you could just say everyone in the world has the magic initiative feat. So they just have that little bit of magic in their blood. There are so, so many things. Uh, um, I'm actually getting a little tongue tied just thinking of all of the potential options in the world. So just to, you know, put it this way in my, in my D and D beyond account, uh, I have, let's see here, 46 homebrew feats of my own of just tweaks to options available. And one thing also that I didn't mention in the official list, there actually are racial feats available in the official list. So you have specific feats that can only be taken by tieflings, some that can you know only be taken by drow, only by dragonborn. You know, there are, are very specific racial feats. So, you know, one of my own homebrew feats is one that just can give vampires a boost. Uh, another fun option. So we've mentioned a time or two also that uh, in towards the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, that there's a whole section called the DM Workshop that has a lot of really cool rules in it. So I decided to introduce some of those to my own world in the form of feats. So there are non-standard abilities that a person could get trained in. So they have rules for cleaving through creatures that like if you do more damage than is necessary to kill someone, then you can kind of follow through and continue the attack. So I put that in my own game as the cleave feat to make use of that. Uh, also, the whole you know improved critical range is something that is normally available to champion fighters. But to me, at least, that makes sense to have an option as in the form of a feat to tweak character to give them that improved critical hit range and on and on and on what i i keep saying this but it's just the simple truth feats are flat out in my admittedly biased opinion the best option available in fifth edition dungeons and dragons to customize characters in all kinds of fun ways Thanks for listening to this episode of Rips and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tears start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as being under scenes content, only access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. 
And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Mm-hmm. 